The first reading is from Psalm 139, verses 1 to 9. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. Let's have our second reading from the writings of the Apostle John, 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through to 21. God is love. Beloved, let us love one another, because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent us his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father has sent his Son as the Saviour of the world. God abides in those who confess that Jesus is the Son of God, and they abide in God. So we have known and believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. Those who say, I love God, and hate their brothers or sisters are liars for those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen the commandment we have from him is this those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also in our reading from first John 
John tells us that God is love, and those who love live in God, and God lives in them. Don't know if you noticed on the screens in the reading, the word love was highlighted and bolded um, several times. It's interesting, I, 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 when preparing, I counted, and 29 times in around 15 verses, the word love and related words are used. 29 times. And then, of course, the word God is used around sort of 15 times within those verses. And those two ideas, love, God. God, love. God is love. The two dominating ideas within the passage. The New Testament doesn't have many statements of faith. But one of the statements of faith in the New Testament is that God is love. And that's the central point of the passage. That those of us who claim to have a relationship with God have a relationship with love. John says something. He says, he says how can you say you know God and you don't live in love? Because to know God is to know love. And the word know from the Greek, um, there are a range of meanings for the word know. So from general awareness, I, 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 I know Theresa May is prime minister in theory. Okay, I know this. Okay. And I know Brexit is, le- is, is supposed to happen. I know it's, So we know these things. There's a general awareness. To a profound, deep awareness to full knowledge, all the way through to experience. And the word, when it says to know God, is not an intellectual knowledge. It's not a general awareness. It's the deepest level of experiential awareness. I know God. I have experienced God. And if you experience God, you experience what it is to be beloved what it is to be accepted, what it is to be welcomed, knowing God. And John testifies and intensifies what he's saying about knowing God when he, he shows the link between God's love and God's action when he writes, God is love, and God's love's revealed him among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we ought to love each other. Two things about this. First and foremost, the very first thing is that love creates reconciliation. That's what the text means when he says atoning sacrifice. Atonement, at its heart, is about restoring and reconciling relationships. What God does, God takes the initiative and enters our space, our universe, our relational context, and brings us to where God is and accepts us as God's beloved. It's about the healing and the restoration of relationships, which tells me something about how we ought to love. Because when we think about loving, I want you to get out of your mind Julia Roberts and Pretty Woman. I'm, I'm dating myself now. Um, okay, okay. Or even Love Actually, I'm going, that's a 2000s millennium. Okay. 
uh, or any of the romantic notions we have about love because love isn't this uh, fluffy strawberry and champagne and chocolate truffles. So Hollywood romanticizes the idea of love. Love is, is, is deep, it's strong, it's passionate, but it's also about um, what do we do when things go wrong? Because love doesn't amplify breakdowns. Love does not get involved in preemptive strikes. strikes. Love does not ask, what if I walk in love but the other person doesn't? So just in case the other person hurts me, I'm going to live in defense mode, protecting myself against the possible onslaught of hatred and wrath and anger. And so we, we hold back, we become hesitant, we become protective, we become defensive. That's not the way of love. Love creates reconciliation. The second thing that the passage tells us about love is that love is fulfilling in the sense of that through love we have life. And the word life here is a word that John is absolutely fond of, both in the Gospels of John and the letter of John. John talks about eternal life. And he's not talking about um, eternal as in uh, has it a beginning and an ending, but eternal as in, in a, a supernatural quality of life. That's what love does. Life, love is life-giving. And one of the questions I always challenge people about the relationships we have is, are, is our relationship life-giving? Is it life-enriching? Is it life-enhancing? Or is it life-limiting? I can tell how close a person is to God by how the relational and emotional charge I get when I meet them. When I meet somebody, I receive a positive emotional charge. Do you know what I'm talking about? When you meet some people, they're like emotional vampires. Suck the very life out of you. And, and you leave feeling, I did not enjoy that interaction. Whereas whenever you meet somebody that is really genuinely full of love, you feel lighter, you feel more optimistic, you feel more empowered. And that's the, the difference when you talk about being life-giving and full of love. Love creates life. It can't help but do that. I'm from, I, I grew up in a Pentecostal church. Don't worry, I, I went to Spurgeon's College as well. So it's, all right. But um, we, we, in, in, in the Pentecostal tradition, we place a great deal of emphasis on a person, the sign of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues. But what if, what if um, the primary sign of the Holy Spirit, uh, being active and alive in someone's life, wasn't speaking in tongues, but love? What if that was the litmus test of genuine and true discipleship? How many charismatic Pentecostal churches would have to close immediately? Don't tell them I said this. The fact is, love is the true test of your Christian discipleship. John says, by this, that is by love, we know that we live in God and God lives in us because God has given us God's spirit. But don't just take Paul, um, John's word for it. Paul says it in that beautiful thing that we read at, in weddings. 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak with tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Again in Galatians, he says, but the fruit, the living evidence of the Holy Spirit 
being alive in somebody's life is love. You cannot claim to be spirit-filled and not be filled with love. And here's what worries me. Here's what really, really worries me. We have somebody 28 years old, grew up in Australia, moved to New Zealand, sees somebody who's different, believes in a different way of living and being, and is incredibly threatened by that, and decides that part of a response to that is to go and shoot and kill. And that's an extreme form. But how many Facebook warriors we have who find themselves saying and doing hateful things on Facebook, Twitter, social media? How many times through just traveling on the tube or on buses we become protective and defensive? How about in our voting and our political choices and preferences? And I don't care where you stand, right or left, I think Jesus died for the whole bird right and left. How many of us become defensive, self-protective? Let's start thinking macro. Let's start thinking in our relationships where we're terrified of giving ourselves truly and fully to the other. Even after being together for a very, very long time, there are bits that we withhold and keep private and keep secret, hidden from the other for fear John gives us the antidote. He says, perfect love drives out fear. That's what love does. And when he talks about perfect love, he's not talking about flawless love. He's not talking about love that makes no mistakes. He's not talking about love that makes no errors. He's talking about love that's mature. Love that's full grown. Do you remember that song? No, I'm just looking across the audience. I think I might be able to do this. Some of you, if you don't know, ask somebody at the end. And they call it puppy love. And there's that thing, isn't it? You know, those of us who've been around for a little while, it's sickly when we see that kind of puppy love, isn't it? You sit in a restaurant or you hear someone on the telephone. You hang up. No, 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 you hang up. Oh, no, I just like to listen to you breathe. This kind of nonsense. We, we know that's not what really makes life work. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not easily provoked. Love suffers long. Love hopes everything, believes everything, endures everything. Love perseveres. Love does not fail. We know that love is, is hard. It's gritty. It's enduring. It's tough. And it picks fear up, drags it out by the scruff of the neck, and says, fear, you are not welcome here. That's what love does. Perfect love drives out fear. I want you to think of your most perplexing and worrying relationships. Those relationships that you invest in and worry about the return on that investment. And I want you to identify what it is you're afraid of. What's preventing you from holding back. And I want you through the Holy Spirit to begin to drive those fears out. It's phobos, phobias, 
feared. It was fear that gave us the results we had this week in terms of the killings, 50 people losing their lives because of somebody's fear. And don't think that gentleman who has been arrested was acting on his own. There's a whole community and network that was feeding into the ideology of fear. And the challenges for us as Christians, as Christ followers, to be a voice of life, light, hope, and love. Not just speaking and broadcasting to the world, but within the intimate relationships in which we live. When we go into the place of work, how are we driving out fear? Through love. With our neighbours, how are we driving out fear? Through love. In our interactions with our partners and our loved ones, our, our children, nieces, nephews, uncles and aunts, our extended family, both family of blood and family of our hearts, how are we driving out fear through love? I feel the power of the Holy Spirit challenging me to love, pulling me back from my compulsions and my addictions and telling me to love. When at the end of a busy day, because I'm bivocational, that means I do this full-time and I do something else full-time. And at the end of a busy day, I come home and I'm, I'm exhausted. I've got Maureen, I've got Christelle, our first child, and Ella, our second child who want me to be present and want me to pay attention. And there's nothing that I would rather do than to go, on, go upstairs and veg out with Netflix. But they need me to be present. And I feel the Holy Spirit saying, stay. Focus. Listen. What they're saying is important. Engage. I'm at work, and you know, when you're in the office... There is always that person, when you see them coming, your heart sinks. No, you, no, none of you know anyone like that. You're, you're loving people. But the Holy Spirit talks to you and says, no, that's not how you're going to act. That child is my beloved. That's your brother. That's your sister. That's somebody I care for. And I want to express that care through you. So when they come, listen. And yes, they are going to drain you. But I will return to you what they have taken. So just let them attach and suck. No. <laughs> there is a challenge. The Holy Spirit I hear whispering, we loved. We love because God first loved us. I hear that sacred ghost whispering again, love, love, love. When I'm tempted to use an expletive to de describe another person, when in traffic, I'm tempted to give a, a one-fingered salute. The Holy Spirit challenges me and says, that's not loving. Keep your hands on the steering. <laughs> when I'm tempted to get them before they get me, I hear the Holy Spirit saying, no, that's not the way of love. John says, little children, let's love not just in, in words, or in speech, but in deed and in truth. In deed and in truth. And here's the truth about love. Love is not conceptual. Love is concrete. 
It's not an idea. It's not, it's not, it's not, it's not this ethereal um, something that's out there. Love is tangible, isn't it? You, you can feel it. Sometimes you feel it so strong, your heartbeat races. Sometimes you feel it so strong, you break out. And the men sweat and the women glow. I'm being a bit gender traditional. Let's love indeed and in truth. Indeed and in truth. Not just intentionally. Because a lot of people intend to be loving. But you can intend to be loving, but if I experience your intent as hurtful, you have not loved me. Do you follow what I'm saying? Sometimes we intend to do things, and here's where I'm coming from. Many times when we love, we love other people in ways in which we like to be loved ourselves. So, for example, whenever I receive love, I receive love as time. Okay? Maureen, who's here, and I hope you don't mind me exposing you. Okay? Maureen receives love through touch. Now, there's no point in me giving her lots of time because that's what I like. I like time. If I'm going to love her, I need to provide touch. Hugs, hand-holding, cuddles, touch. Part of giving love and sharing love, and I'm not just talking about our romantic relationships, I'm talking across the board. Part of giving love is understanding how another person receives love, receives love, experiences love, because love is never centered in me and what I want to do. Love is always centered in the other. And so there's a nuance here, isn't there? We've got to listen and pay attention and be empathetic and empathic and enter into the world and experience of others, which then brings up, with love, compassion. With compassion, empathy. Because by doing this, we love indeed, and we love in truth. John says, when we love in this way, God's love is perfected in us. Perfected in us. This word perfected, it means to complete the circuit. Complete the circuit. Complete the circuit. God loves me. Me loving God does not complete the circuit. But God loves me. I take God's love that God has shown to me and I pass that love on to someone else. And I love them so well that that person says, wow, you love me so well. God must be alive in you because God is love. And then that person gives the love back to God. The circuit is complete. That's perfect love. When I give as freely and fully as I have received. We love because he first loved us. Those who say I love God and hate their brothers and sisters are liars. We should do that every now and then. Say, you're lying. I love you. You're lying. Because I don't feel that love. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God who they have not seen. 
The commandment we have from God in the beginning is that those who love God must, absolutely must, love their brothers and sisters also. Shall we pray? Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving us in our imperfections, loving us in our failures, loving us in our sins, in our weaknesses. Thank you for the transforming power of your love that doesn't excuse failure, excuse sin, but empowers us in the areas of failure and in the areas of sin so that we sin no more. Thank you for that kind of love. Thank you that you have made us again through the love of God that's poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who lives and breathes on the inside of us. And so, Lord, we ask your forgiveness for times when we have withheld love, when we have not been as free with our love as we've been called to be. We ask you to heal us, to restore us. We ask that through your Holy Spirit, we would pour out your love to other people in our relational circle, in the world with a small W in which we live. We pray that that love would pour out freely, without restriction, without boundary, without, without discrimination. A relentless, indiscriminate love flowing from you through us to others. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. And all the people said, Amen. Amen. Go between God. Bridge builder, community maker. You call us, your church, to be a laboratory of peace. Accept our sorrow for the hostilities we harbor and the walls that we continue to build. You call us, your church, to be a parable of your kingdom. Accept our sorrow for telling a very different story, a story of attachment to worldly values. You call us, your church, to be a sign of contradiction. Accept our sorrow for being content with the way things are and fearful of speaking the prophetic word. You call us, your church, to be a place of welcome and warmth. Accept our sorrow for sometimes having sour faces, cold hands, judgmental attitudes, and a lack of compassion. You call us, your church, to be a community of praise. Accept our sorrow for allowing anxiety about human failures to muzzle our confidence in your power to transform the world. God of peace, you have shown us that it is your will for the world that all people should live in justice and peace. You've given us a vision of hope where all humanity lives in the wholeness of life for which we have been created. We pray for our world, we pray for our nation, we pray for the communities within our nation that are torn apart by conflict and fear. Nations divided one from another by suspicion, aggression, 
and greed. Nations divided within themselves by injustice, oppression, and powerlessness. You have called us to be your church, to be a sign of hope in a world without hope, a healing community in a broken world, a people of peace in a world at war with itself. Forgive us our failures of the past and create in us a vision of unity, of love, of hope and sharing that we might indeed be light for the nations through Jesus Christ, our peace. And all the people said, Amen. Amen.